Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Welcome again to Bible Center. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. It's great having you here. If you call Bible Center Church your home, or if you're our guest, and we also want to say welcome to those joining us online. I know every week we have folks who are sick, people under the weather, people in different parts of the state and the country. It's great to have you uh, join us as well. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about the series that we're kicking off today. It is the Good News Series. So by way of a little bit of housekeeping, I want to let you know what you can expect over the next five weeks. Uh, we're talking about the Good News, which is another name for the gospel. We're going to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to hear during these five weeks that the gospel isn't good advice, but it's actually good news. It's not something that we do, but it's something that God already did for us. We simply respond to it by faith. So we're going to talk a lot more about that over the next five weeks. Uh, one of the things that people, that I am sometimes tempted to think, uh, is that the gospel is a message of the past. I believed it in the past. Maybe you first believed it 10 years ago, 10 weeks ago, 10 minutes ago, but now it's time to move on to bigger and better things. But actually, we're going to learn that the Bible teaches us the gospel is a past message, it's a present message, and it's a future message. It's something that God did for us in the past, He continues to do for us in the present, and will ultimately do in the future when He makes all things new. Sometimes I'm also tempted to think that the gospel is a me message. This is kind of how I grew up. The gospel was only for me. And it's true, the gospel is a me message, but it's much more than that. We're gonna learn in these five weeks that the gospel is a we message, that God is transforming his church, he's transforming the people of God into the image of Jesus. And the gospel is also a cosmic message. Uh, God is going to renew the world and make all things new, new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to look at a lot of these things, and I'm going to ask you over the next five weeks to give your whole heart to the subject of the gospel. Now, if you just come in and you're half asleep, or if you see the person sitting next to you and they're half asleep, feel free to do all you can to wake them up. I'm going to try to hold your attention because I'm convinced that the message of the gospel is the foundation of everything we're doing in Charleston. It's the foundation. It has to be the foundation for our mission for the city and ultimately for the world. We've given you some, some helps to help you go deeper in the gospel. One of those is your outline. If you look on your sermon outline and your bulletin, you're going to see there's a lot of verses there. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to try to turn the sermon outline into actually a miniature Bible study. So you can take it home, you can dig deeper. There'll be a lot of verses that we just don't have time to cover on a Sunday morning, but we've got an empty sheet there in the bulletin. I wanna make the most of that real estate to help you go deeper in God's word. We also have book recommendations every week in the gospel series. This week, since we're talking about creation, I wanna recommend a good book to you, Creation and Evolution. Uh, some of my mentors recommended this book to me. I think you'll be blessed by it. I actually read it on New Year's Day in my pajamas. Uh, it's a pretty thick book. It's a heavy, meaty book, uh, but it is divided up into 40 chapters that go fairly quickly. If you have a university student in your life or if you're a university student, uh, you're gonna wanna get this book because it answers a lot of questions uh, that, are, that are thrown at you or with you uh, in the workplace or in college. 
Uh, do I agree with everything in the book? Absolutely not. Uh, probably there's very few books I recommend to you that I agree 100% with, except the Bible. I agree 100% with the Bible. Uh, but I would encourage you to pick up the book, filter it through the lens of the Holy Scriptures, but I think it'll be a help to you. When I got done with it, I had a much higher view of God, and I felt the need and the thirst to study uh, even more. And then one more resource for you is our core classes. Our core classes are all online, and they're on the app. I actually watched session two of the core class to help me prepare for this message. And if you've ever heard Pastor Mike teach, he can close his ears on this one. I don't want him to get the big head, uh, but it is phenomenal. He really does a great job. So all 10 sessions of the gospel core class are online. You're going to want to listen to that. And so again, we'll just be scratching the surface of a lot of what he covered over 10 weeks uh, in that class. Let's go ahead and jump in to the message Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn there, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If not, the verses will be on the screen. Let me invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word as I begin in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The big idea that I want to teach today is simply this. The creation story is essential to the gospel story. The creation story is essential to the gospel story. This is what I want you to believe when you leave. This is what I want you to know. I want you to be persuaded of this truth. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor Matt, how can creation relate to the gospel? If you've been in church for a long time, maybe you thought, grown up thinking like I did, that the gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What does creation have to do with the gospel? Well, I like to differentiate the two and say there's actually a micro gospel and then there's a macro gospel. There's a zoomed in gospel and then there's a zoomed out gospel. The zoomed in micro gospel is nothing less than Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says, that is the gospel. That is very, very good news. But there are other places in the scriptures that talk about the gospel being something much bigger. Actually, this grand story where God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores. If you want to know a little bit more about that, you can read Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 says, this is the gospel. And he wasn't just talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that was certainly the crux of it, no doubt, but he was talking about this big story that begins with creation. So that's why this morning I'm so convinced and I want to teach that the creation story is essential to the gospel story. Maybe you're wondering, what's behind the curtain? What's under the curtain? Well, how many of you ever played the game Jenga? Anybody played Jenga before? Okay. This is a life-size Jenga game. Many thanks to Jeff Josephi and Wayne Pugh and Delbert Hawley. I think we actually have three or four of these 
that we use for special events and activities. When people reserve, you can actually reserve the picnic area. I don't know if you knew that, but you can reserve the picnic area, and sometimes people will take this out there. A lot of fun. We played as a staff. Um, it was fun watching Paula. I thought Paula got beat. I thought Bill Brown actually beat Paula, but Paula actually beat her, beat him. Uh, so she's the reigning champ. You can congratulate her for winning in our staff meeting. But you think about the game Jenga. If you remove important pieces of the foundation, the whole thing crumbles. If you remove important pieces of the foundation, the whole thing crumbles. So the gospel is very similar to that. Picture the gospel being this giant Jenga tower. And if we were to come along and remove important pieces about creation, actually the whole doctrine, the whole teaching of the gospel will actually crumble. Let me show you what I mean. There are some who are tempted to say that, well, God really didn't create out of nothing. Matter is eternal, and who's to say that there really is a God? But if there is a God, then matter is also eternal. They were floating by one day, and he decided to shape this matter into what we now see as the universe. So if you deny that God created out of nothing, you actually remove an important piece. I practiced this, I promise. Let's find them a piece. Yeah, we should have marked them, Caleb. That's a good point. I see your point. Okay, we remove one piece of the foundation. The foundation gets weaker. Some come along and are tempted to say, well, God really didn't create for his glory or the earth really isn't good, right? It's really not good. The creation is bad. The creation is, is something that's very, very selfish for us. We use it for selfish purposes. So then you come along and you remove Another aspect, all right, there we go. Remove another aspect of the foundation. There are some who teach that there was no literal Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are all allegorical. There was no Adam and Eve. There was no Garden of Eden. And even though Jesus said there was, and Paul said there was, and Peter said there was, and John said there was, and Luke said there was, still there was no Adam and Eve. And so what happens is when you come along and you remove more important pieces of the gospel, eventually the whole foundation does this. I was a lot louder in the first service. Yeah, the whole thing crumbles. Because you see, the creation story is essential to the gospel story. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you four reasons why that's true. I'm going to give you four reasons why the creation story is essential to the gospel story, and then I'm going to close with an application for your new year. So let's go ahead and dive in together and see why this is so true. Number one, because the creation story teaches us God is bigger than time, space, and matter. The creation story teaches us God is bigger than time, space, and matter. Genesis 1 teaches us that God not only created the heavens and the earth, but he had to exist before the heavens and the earth. So in Genesis 1-1, you see all three aspects. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, there's space. And God created the earth, there's matter. The psalmist said the same thing in Psalm 90, verses 1-4. through Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Think of John 3.16. I'm gonna ask you to fill in the blank for me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life or eternal life. Same word, different translation. So the only way, think of this, the only way God could offer everlasting life in the gospel is if God is everlasting life. That's the only way. So already in John 3.16, we're starting to see this connection between the creation story and the gospel story. Now, when we talk about eternity and everlasting life, these are huge concepts. We're creatures of time and space and matter. And so for us, we can only see God in that way. For, for me to get up here, and just, just true confession, for me to get up here and try to talk about eternity is kind of like Hamlet and Macbeth trying to describe Shakespeare. Think of that. Like Shakespeare wrote, he authored Hamlet and Macbeth, right? In some way, he is, he is above Hamlet and Macbeth. And so I'm gonna do my best through the revealed word of God, but we understand that God is bigger than time, space, and matter. Yet, yet in your outline, he invented time, space, and matter. He invented time, space, and matter. As we see in the scriptures, God created the universe out of nothing. Matter was not eternal. God created it ex nihilo. He, he needed nothing. He just spoke it into existence. Romans 7, 14, God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Acts 14, 15 is the linchpin for this whole argument. Acts 14, 15 says, we bring you good news that's the gospel, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In this one verse, the apostle Paul is saying, you wanna know what the gospel is? The gospel is this grand story that started with creation. When Paul preached to religious people, people who knew the Bible or knew some of the Old Testament, Paul may skip over creation because they already believed it. But when the apostle Paul was preaching to people who did not, didn't know anything about the Bible, they didn't know anything. What is, what is sin? Who is Jesus? Who is God? Paul would almost always go back and start the gospel message with creation. You see, the creation story is essential to the gospel story. Number two, why else is that true? Number two, because it teaches us we'll never comprehend God's glory. We'll never comprehend God's glory. The greatest preacher of the glory of God is creation itself. The creation around us declares the glory of God far better than any of us could ever declare it. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When we see stars, like in this picture, we are hardwired to say glory. There's just something bigger than us. There's something within us, in our spiritual DNA for us to say, even if you haven't heard all about Jesus, something within us says glory. There is a creator bigger than us. 
I love the Arizona sky. Sarah and I, about 16 years ago, traveled for our denomination, and we spent about three months out west. Spent a week in the Arizona area. There's no humidity. You can see the stars. It was absolutely gorgeous. When we see that, we're hardwired to say glory. There's someone, something bigger than us. We drove up the California coast, took about a month to do that. We went through Oregon, got to Washington State. We just spent about two days in Seattle. When we came out of Seattle, we went through Monroe, Washington on Route 2, uh, all the way to, Man- to Wenatchee. And there's a national forest there. And one scene after the other looks just like this. And when you see scenes like that from Washington State, you're hardwired to say, glory. There's someone, something bigger than us. It reminds me of Romans chapter one and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's glory is evident in the whole world. But even though it's evident, it doesn't mean that we fully understand it. And this is an important point when we think about creation. I believe it's gonna take us an eternity to get to know all that God knows, which means we'll never get there. We're finite creatures. But I hope God somehow, some way shows us a video of what creation looked like. Man, that would be amazing to get to see. But when you think about the aspect of God's creation and his glory, we can study it. We can have a hundred degrees. I can get theology degrees. You can get science degrees. But all of us are still limited in our understanding of the glory of God in creation. I'm reminded of Job and how Job had to learn humility. Job had his life nearly stripped away from him. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. Job's own wife came to him and she said, curse God and die. Job was lower than most of us have ever been or ever will be. And Job starts to question what God is doing. And after 37 chapters in chapter 38, God who loves Job and is on Job's side and favors Job, God decides to show up and teach Job uh, his heart. You can just picture in Job 38 as he sets Job down and he puts on a presentation for Job. We don't know where Job was sitting or what he saw, but it's almost as if God allowed certain things to flash before his eyes. In Job 38, he says, Job, where were you when I carved out the oceans? Have you ever been to the ocean floor, Job? God says, I have. I know what I'm doing. Then you can just picture as as God comes to Job and points out the snow-capped mountains, maybe off in a distance. And he said, Job, where were you when I put the snow on top of the mountains? Have you ever done that, Job? Oh, you haven't done that? Well, I have because I'm God and you're not. And then we see God in those chapters show Job a lightning storm and he feels the thunder. And he says, Job, have you ever created lightning? Job says, no. And God says, I have because I am God and you are not. By the time you get to chapter 42 in verse six, Job doesn't finally say, aha, I've got it. I see your creation and now I understand. It's not what he did. It created a sense of humility. It created a sense that there was something, there was knowledge even that he couldn't comprehend. And it says in Isaiah 42, six, Job says, I repent. 
He didn't say, I understand. He said, I repent. We'll never comprehend the glory of God. We can try, but we never will fully. But thankfully, there's something that God does do for us. But in your outline, we can taste and see that he is good. But we can taste and see that he is good. In Genesis 1 and 2, God calls his creation good nine times. Even after the fall, God still calls his creation good. The world is broken. It bears the effects. It's been marred and scarred by sin. But you can still look around and see the footprints or the fingerprints of a good creator because God is still actively involved in his world. First Timothy chapter four says, if everything God created is good, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. First Timothy six seventeen, God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That means that the, the, the colors that you see are for your enjoyment. The music that you listen to, seems like this year, everybody got earbuds, right? Like they're everywhere. The, the music that you listen to, either in your car or where, it's for your enjoyment. God created music for, as a gift to us. Uh, you think about the smells, things that you enjoy smelling. I love the smell of freshly ground coffee. I've never had my own coffee grinder until this Christmas. My father-in-law got me a coffee grinder. So for the last seven days or more, I have made freshly ground coffee for, 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 for in the morning. And, and several mornings, I'll hold the coffee cup under my nose and just, and just smell. I know it's weird, but it smells so good. It's like, it's the real thing. Sarah and I went for a date the other night to Black Sheep Burrito, and they have got the guacamole, freshly made guacamole. It just tastes good. When you think about the gift of sex, God created sex for his glory and for our good in the confines of marriage. This spring, we're gonna look through the Song of Solomon. We're gonna go through for five weeks and study what God has to say about sex and love and marriage and dating. And we're gonna see that even this gift of love and intimacy is a gift from God that causes us to worship the creator, not the creation. So as we think about God's goodness, we can taste and see that he is good. The creation story is essential to the gospel story. Why else is that true? Well, there's two more reasons. The third reason is this, because it teaches us God is distinct from his creation. God is distinct from his creation. Now, maybe you're thinking, now, why would we need to say that? What's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is subtly, there's some teaching in our culture and even in some religious circles that would cause us to, or would want us to believe that God is somehow part of creation. For instance, there are some who say that God is in the trees. God is in the grass. There's a spark of divinity within you. Your baby is born with a spark of divinity. That one's usually easy to debunk if you've ever had children to know they weren't born with a spark of divinity. But there's some who would like us to believe that God is somehow part of creation. But the scriptures clearly teach he is distinct from creation. First Kings chapter eight and verse 27 says, but will God really dwell on earth? 
The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. This is kind of a $5 word, but the word is transcendent. God is above his creation. He is outside his creation. Scholars say he is transcendent. But that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, he also chooses to interact with his creation. But he chooses to interact with his creation. Scholars call this eminence. That means that God is near, that God is with us. We can apply that to say God is interested. He chooses to be interested in his creation. So he's outside of creation by nature, but he's inside creation by choice. He's outside by nature, but inside by choice. Now, where do we see that in the Bible? All the way back, really in Genesis 1 and 2, but even Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, you have this picture of God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. God loved his creation so much that they they had a daily walk together. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six that God is interested in making sure the birds get fed. He's interested in making sure the flowers grow. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God is involved, he's interested. He chooses to interact with his creation. Colossians 1.17 is one of the verses in your outline. It says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Your heart is beating right now because God's giving it permission to beat. Your life, you have breath in your lungs because God is putting the breath in your lungs. There is no galaxy that's even a millimeter off course from where God wants it to be. There is no rogue cancer cell. There's no rogue molecule in the world. God is sovereign, he's in control, and he sustains all things. One writer said it this way, without God's ongoing governance, the entire universe would either disintegrate, evaporate, or combust into nothingness. The creation story is essential to the gospel story. Now, there's one last reason that that's true, and I've saved the best for last. This is my favorite reason. What's the fourth and last reason? Number four, because it teaches us Jesus created the light of the stars. Jesus created the light of the stars. Likewise, we'll go ahead and read that. Jesus gives us the light of salvation. Jesus created the light of the stars. Likewise, he gives us the light of salvation. Now, when we think about Jesus creating the light of the stars, we were, we, our minds go to Colossians 1, uh, Hebrews 1, John 1. The New Testament teaches us that Jesus was the agent. He was the active agent in creation. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard, I actually read it in some of Pastor Mike's core class material. And I don't know if this is right on. He didn't know if it's right on, but it helps us understand it. It's almost as if God the Father is the architect and Jesus is the builder and the Holy Spirit is the interior decorator, right? When you look at the scriptures, God is sovereign over creation. Jesus is the one that seems to be the one that put it all together And all the way back in the book of Genesis, you have the Holy Spirit hovering over his creation, giving life, 
to everything with which he connects. So Jesus created the light of the stars. That means that in Genesis 1, this is where the sermon comes together, beginning to end. In Genesis 1, when we read, God said, let there be light. Who was that? According to Hebrews, Colossians, and John, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who said, let there be light. It's super important that we believe that because of what we're about to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul believed our main point today. He believed that creation is essential to salvation, which is why he wrote this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Think of this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. He's talking about Satan there. Christ, who is the image of God, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness. This God made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Now think of that connection. Think of the implication, what Paul is saying in that passage. Paul is saying, if we do not believe that Jesus has the ability, that God has the ability to create from nothing, then there is no way that he has the ability to shine the light of salvation in our hearts. There's no way. You see, some of the debates that we get into over Christmas, could there have been a virgin birth? Could God have really, really done that? Come on, man, that seems a little far-fetched. Well, if you just look at the Christmas story, sure, it seems far-fetched. You're like, no way, that didn't happen. But if you step back and you get the whole view of the gospel and scripture and you say, wait a minute, if God can create everything I see, even the tree that this Jenga game came from, if God can create that from nothing, then certainly, what's the big deal about Jesus coming, God in the flesh, being born as a baby? That's not a big deal to God. You see, everything hinges on the doctrine of creation. Years ago, when I put my faith in Jesus as a kid, from my perspective, this is what it looked like. It looked like my parents taught me the good news, the gospel. My church, just like this one, taught me the gospel. I went to Children's Church and Awana. And all. My, my church taught me the doctrine of salvation, the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay, so as a kid, I chose to put my faith in Jesus. I want him to forgive my sins, past, present, and future. I want him to be the Lord of my life. That's what it looked like to my young eyes. But let me share with you what it looked like from God's perspective. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it looks something like this. God looked to a young West Virginia, Charlestonian, St. Albans little boy. And God said, let there be light. And instantly, I believed the gospel. That is the message of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Think of the day when you first put your faith in Jesus it's, yes, it's because somebody shared the gospel with you. Yes, it's because you believe the gospel. From human perspective, the stars aligned. But from God's perspective, it was because he looked at you and he said, let there be light. 
And instantly you believed the gospel and became a child of God. That is the beauty of it. That's why I am convinced the creation story is essential to the gospel story. Here's what I wanna encourage you with before we go. Kind of give you a, a challenge for the entire year. It's simply this, try enjoying God's creation more this year. Try enjoying God's creation even more this year than you did last year. You say, why? What's the big deal about that? What's the, what's the encouragement for that? Well, because I believe that if you leave here this morning seeing the connection between God's creation and salvation, the more you enjoy God's creation, the more you'll see his beauty and glory in the gospel. Now, we have to be careful because your heart is bent like my heart, right? If somehow I start enjoying God's creation and I enjoy his gifts that he has given me and his holiness, and before long, I want to enjoy too much of it. Before long, I become a glutton or, or whatever. So we have to remember that the gifts point us to the giver. They don't terminate on themselves, but we can still enjoy the gifts. So this year for you, that might, that might mean taking one, maybe one night a week with your family or some friends. And just one night a week, you're gonna block it off and you're gonna say, this year, we are going to enjoy some good food. We're gonna hang out. We're gonna have fun. We're just gonna let stress go by the wayside. I got a buddy who gets Soho's pizza every Friday night for his family. I don't think I've ever had Soho's pizza, but I hear it's good. Probably costs a little bit more money, but he gets Soho's pizza every Friday night. Hey, we're gonna have family pizza and movie night. Maybe for you, it's walking in the woods. Maybe it's taking your grandkids or your children or your friends or your spouse for a walk and just enjoying some sunshine. January and February, that's important. That's huge. Here in West Virginia, it's like the surface of the moon in January and February. Like if it doesn't snow, Hey, maybe it's taking up a hobby. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you. I talked to a guy at the UC game the other night. He goes, Pastor, you've got to go get one of those big green eggs. Any of you, any of you know what I'm talking about, the big green eggs? Man, it makes your food taste like wood chips. I'm like, well, I'm not sure I want my food tastes like wood chips, but, but I, know, I know his point. He was saying it's good this year. Try enjoying God's creation even more than you did last year. And when you enjoy it, let it remind you of the good news of the gospel that he created all things. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.